Christianity is about faith. Now, faith is not what many may think. Faith is not a blind leap. It's not suspending what we actually know and see for what we feel. It's, it's not conjuring up hope against reality. Faith is not the power of positive thinking or manifesting our own reality. Faith is trusting. Faith is acting on. It's confidence in. It's, it's confidence in what is real and true, even though it either happened in the past or hasn't happened yet. Faith always has that element of uh, we can't see it right now. Maybe we've only heard about it or read about it. Faith has that element about it in which it's not here, present, right now reality, which is why there's always, or at least often, an element of uncertainty and doubt and, and fear that can creep in. What if this doesn't really happen? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is essential to Christianity. Christianity is about faith. I wonder if you have ever had a crisis of faith. Has anything ever happened to you that shook you so deeply that everything you thought you knew just sort of come, came crashing down? Did you ever run up against difficult questions or intellectual arguments that you had no answer for and it caused you that internal crisis of faith? Maybe people at your school or people at your work are so in opposition to what you know and believe that it causes you to wonder, is this really true? Have you ever experienced an event so devastating that it's beyond your ability to comprehend that God would allow such a thing to happen? Crisis of faith. 
Maybe you, like some I know, are just so disappointed with how their life or their job or their marriage or their family is turning out that it's just caused them to wonder if anything I ever believed is really true. Crisis of faith. Friends, whether you have experienced those kinds of things or not, whether you realize it or not, there is a war for your faith going on right now. There's a battle for your faith. Our natural human disposition is not to believe in, to trust in, to have confidence in God. Our natural human disposition is to reject God and trust only self. We've been doing that since the garden. We reject all authority over us. We've been doing that since the womb. Anyone who has kids knows that, right? We only trust ourselves. The Bible teaches that in addition to our own own human, natural, sinful tendencies, the Bible teaches that we have an enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil that is at war, waging war on our faith, especially with the weapons of doubt and unbelief. In the same passage that tells us that faith is required, teaches us that gives us a list of all kinds of people. It's sort of like a faith hall of fame. And it says, these all died in faith. They were the people of God. Friends, there's only two ways to die. Did you know that? You either die in faith or you die in unbelief. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he was preaching to a crowd, and he said this, Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So we either die in faith or we die in unbelief because we have rejected the knowledge of God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a battle for your faith that is going on right now, whether you feel it or not. And John knew about this battle. John knew. And he wanted to wage war in that battle for your faith instead of against it. And so John, the Apostle John, the disciple John, wrote his gospel with this stated purpose. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, John says, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants you to die in faith so that you can have life in Jesus' name instead of in disbelief, rejecting Jesus and dying in your sins. And with John's goal that we might believe and keep on believing in Jesus, John knows that there are many people in this room and in the generations that follow who will experience a crisis of faith. 
And so John, whose status purpose is so that you might believe, is the only one of the four Gospels who includes the story of Thomas. A man who had a crisis of faith. We're going to read that story from John chapter 20 this morning. Would you please take your copy of God's Word, turn to John chapter 20. John wants to encourage all those who struggle with faith. And so do I. John wants to fight for your faith. And so do I. John wants you to believe and keep on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do I. And so John tells the story of Thomas. And how the resurrection of Jesus changed everything for a guy named Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 31, picking up where our readers left off earlier. The Lord Jesus has been crucified, he has been buried, and now he has risen from the dead three days later. The disciples were in a room. Doors were locked. Our readers shared from us from earlier in John chapter 20 that Jesus appeared in the room. Didn't open the door, walked straight through the wall. Pretty cool. And he says, peace to you. He showed them his wounds. He declared that he was alive. Peter, James, John, they were all there. They saw it. They were all there, but Thomas wasn't. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. and Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's God's word. Amen. John wants to encourage all of those here and throughout the generations since A.D. 30. He wants to encourage all those who struggle with faith. So he tells the story of Thomas to highlight these four things. Number one, the crisis of faith. Number two, the compassion of Christ. Number three, the confession of faith. And number four, the blessing for us. Let's look at those one at a time this morning. First of all, did you notice here in the story that Thomas experienced a crisis of faith? Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the disciples excitedly told Thomas, they witnessed to him, they shared the gospel with Thomas. We've seen Jesus. He's alive. And Thomas said, yeah, that's great. I'm glad you guys are excited about that. But unless I see him, unless I touch the places where his nails were in his hands, unless I place my hand into his side, note what Thomas says. I will what? Never believe. Mm, that, that is some strong language right there. I will never believe. Thomas experienced, he is right here, right now in this text, experiencing a crisis of faith. Everything that he saw, everything that he thought he knew, has now come crashing down. Now, we don't know a lot about Thomas, but here's what we know for sure. Thomas grew up in a religious home. He was taught the Old Testament from the time that he was a little boy. He was Jewish. Thomas began to follow Jesus. Every time the four gospel writers list the 12 disciples of Jesus, Thomas is one of them. Look at Mark chapter 3 sometime if you want to. You'll see Thomas's name right there. Thomas began to follow Jesus, and he was named as one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, which means that Thomas was there. Thomas saw everything that you and I only read about. Now, when John wrote his book, there were so many things that he could have written down about Jesus that he had to pick and choose. So John and the other gospel writers specifically chose things that they wanted to include to make their point. What's John's point? John says, I want you to believe. So John purposefully chose seven miracles that Jesus did in order that you would believe. So John's book is centered around those seven signs. If you were to go through the, the gospel of John, maybe you want to do this sometime. You'll see that in chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine, a miracle. 
In chapter 2, at the end, Jesus cleanses the temple, declares himself to be the temple. In John chapter 4, he he heals the nobleman's son. In John chapter 5, he heals a lame man. John chapter 6, he feeds the multitude. 5,000? No, that was 5,000 men. There were women and children there too. In John chapter 9, he heals a blind man. And the seventh sign, you thought all of that was amazing? John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. The guy was dead for four days. Jesus raised him from the dead. What John is saying by these seven signs is Jesus can do the things that only God can do. Believe him. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Thomas isn't hearing about this stuff. Thomas was there. Imagine seeing Lazarus come out of the tomb, watching the lame man walk, tasting the wine that Jesus turned from water. Thomas saw all of those miracles. At one time, Thomas was passionately devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is at the end of the gospel experiencing a crisis of faith. John chapter 11, right before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says, I'm going to have to go back in toward toward Jerusalem to the little village of Bethany. And the disciples said, look, Jesus, you can't go back there. Go back and read the story sometime later. John chapter 11. uh, They say, look, the the Jewish high priests and, and all of the Pharisees, they're trying to stone you. You can't go back there. Thomas? You know what Thomas's response was? Let me quote. Let us go that we may die with him. Thomas was passionate. He was devoted. He was ready to die with Jesus and for Jesus. That's Thomas. We don't know a lot about Thomas, but we know that he was there, that he was a disciple of Jesus, that he was passionate about Jesus. We also know that Thomas had some questions. You probably remember another famous story about Thomas from John chapter 14. You remember that uh, often used funeral text where in my father's house are many mansions. Do you remember that one from John 14? And if it wasn't So I would have told you, I go, Jesus says, to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know where I'm going. Thomas goes, "Uh, I got a question. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But here's my question. Thomas said to him, quote, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus just talked about the glory of heaven and taking his people to heaven. And Thomas is like, I don't understand. We don't know a lot about Thomas, but we know that he had some questions and that he was passionate. And that he saw everything that Jesus did. And we also know this from chapter 20. 
then everything that Thomas believed fell apart. Thomas watched the Messiah be scourged, be crucified, and die. The one that he thought was God's king is now dead and in a tomb. Everything Thomas believed fell apart. Thomas had a crisis of faith and became skeptical. Thomas's friends are now believing, but he's still skeptical. Have you ever been there? You know what's one of the most amazing things about this story of Thomas? That Thomas, right here in the upper room with the the disciples in this locked room with the disciples, Thomas is secure. Thomas is a real, genuine Christian, child of God. He is secure in his faith, but he is not experiencing that security. He's not feeling it. Do you know how I know that? In the middle of his crisis of faith, Thomas is secure in his faith, but he doesn't feel it. I know that because of John 13. You want to look there with me? John chapter 13. Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples. Jesus pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Peter sort of says, Jesus, don't wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you won't be clean and you can't have any part of me. And so Peter says, then wash me head to toe. Just wash me thoroughly. In that discussion, look at verse 10. Jesus said to all of the disciples, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, you all are not clean. One of the people that Jesus says was safe, secure as one of his disciples who was clean was Thomas. Thomas was secure in Christ, but he didn't feel it. Thomas is experiencing a crisis of faith. And John wants us to know that this crisis of faith is not the end of the story for Thomas. And so John tells us not just about the crisis of faith, but he tells us about the compassion of Christ. Look at verse 26. What does Jesus do with his disciple 
who is experiencing a crisis of faith. Eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Eight days later, Jesus came back for Thomas. Jesus appeared to Thomas personally. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas. Jesus was personal and intentional with Thomas. Jesus appears to Thomas compassionately. There's no berating here. There's no scolding. There's no disappointment. Thomas, I'm disappointed in you. What does he say? Then he said to Thomas, I heard you. I see you. I know that you want to put your finger here and place your hand here. Do it. Go ahead. And why? Because Thomas is his. Jesus came back eight days later to secure Thomas's faith. Friends, that's the gospel. Your faith doesn't ultimately depend on you. Your faith ultimately started with God and it will be completed by God. Jesus called Thomas to himself, made Thomas pure, and now Jesus is securing Thomas's faith. Jesus is there to bring security to a disciple in crisis. Look at Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, verse 28, My Lord and my God. Just as we see a crisis of faith and the compassion of Christ, we now see the confession of true faith. Confession of faith. Thomas says, My Lord, and my God. I love what Don Carson says about this. He says, the most unyielding skeptic has bequeathed to us the most profound confession. One, two, three, four, five words, my Lord and my God, an incredible confession of faith. And what caused this confession? What took Thomas from skeptical disciple in crisis to now confessing Christian disciple secure in his faith? What took Thomas? The resurrection of Christ changed everything. See, the resurrection proved that Jesus really is who he said he is. Before, Thomas saw a lot of stuff. He heard Jesus say a lot of things. But then 
Now Jesus is dead. He's in the grave. But the resurrection proves that Jesus is God. The resurrection of Jesus is a central truth to Christianity. That's what Josh read for us earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look, if Christ isn't raised, then our preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul says, we apostles, we're misrepresenting God. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then your faith is futile. It's worthless. You're still in your sin. And those who have died hoping in Christ, they've perished. Josh read for us that if if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if, if all we had were the seven signs and all of the sayings, and, and if all of we had was everything up to and including the death of Christ, if that's all we have, then Paul says, we of all people are most to be pitied. But verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that changed everything for Thomas. Because it proved that Jesus really is who he says he is. Thomas gives an example of a true confession of faith. Listen, true faith, friends, is not affirming the facts of the resurrection. True faith is confessing the deity and lordship of Jesus Christ. Notice, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Who is Jesus? He is Lord and God. That's who Jesus is. It's the deity and lordship of Jesus Christ. True faith is not just confessing it, but personally submitting to it. Don't overlook that little pronoun. My Lord, my God. See, it is not enough just to come to church and confess the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed that the church confesses. True faith is when you say, my Lord, my God. It's a response of personal trust, self-commitment based on the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then Jesus says to him, verse 29, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John ends this with a blessing for us. Crisis of faith, we see it. Compassion of Christ, beautiful. Confession of faith. But it still feels distant. It still feels like back then and there and them. You know, just something in the record and the annals of history. Something we would read about in the Bible. But on that occasion, Jesus talked about you. Yeah, you. 
Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knows that there's going to be generation after generation after generation of those who will believe that he rose from the dead based on what? Not sight, but based on the eyewitness testimony that is written down by people like John and Peter and Paul. And by revealing himself to Thomas, Jesus has revealed himself to every Thomas. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with my neighbors, for example, and they'll say to me, look, if Jesus would just appear to me, I would believe. Jesus appeared to Thomas. Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. And by appearing to Thomas, he has appeared to all of us. This is a credible source. This is eyewitness testimony that has been preserved just like, or maybe even in a greater way, than many of the things that you and I believe about history. Trust in by credible and reliable sources. Here's, here's how Peter, you remember Peter, the, the very outspoken apostle? He, he says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. We did not follow cleverly dis- devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, we're not making this stuff up. We're giving you an eyewitness account. And he also says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus reveals himself to us through his word the eyewitness testimony of those who were there. Jesus reveals himself to you, friend, through his word. Jesus also reveals himself to us through his spirit. When God's word is spoken, God speaks intimately in our hearts. We're drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. God, pardon me, Jesus reveals himself to us, not just through his word and his spirit, but Jesus also reveals himself to us through his church. And through all of those things, Jesus today is calling us to believe. Jesus says to everyone in this room, do not disbelieve, but believe. And he promises to bless all who believe. So friend, I don't know where you are in your faith right now. 
Maybe you feel a struggle to believe, or maybe you have settled unbelief and, and, and you could care less. Maybe, like Thomas, you have experienced a crisis of faith where everything you thought you knew has just come crashing down, maybe because of intellectual arguments or unanswered question or some devastating event, maybe just because of disappointment of how life is turning out and your job or your marriage or your family is just not turning out how you hoped. I don't know what's going on with you personally, but I do know this. Jesus is appearing to you this morning one more time. One more time right now through the preaching of his word, through the ministry of his spirit, through the witness of his church. Jesus is revealing himself to you personally, compassionately, one more time. He's saying to you, do not disbelieve, but believe. What's your response? Are you saying back to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will never believe? Or will you say, my Lord and my God? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified made righteous, taken from sinner to saint. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Friends, here's the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I just read to you from Romans chapter 10. And Paul ends that section by saying this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Will you believe today? Christian, I I don't know where you are in your faith right now. And I don't know what your future holds. But I know that there's a war on for your faith. Just because you made a decision, prayed a prayer, just because you have seen some things, heard some things, experienced some things, just because you are now doesn't mean that there's not a war on that might come knocking at your door in the future. There may be a time that, like Thomas, the devotion that you presently feel turns to doubt. 
your future may hold, some event, some difficulty that will shake what you believe to the core, that will cause your hope, your faith to come crashing down. I meet with people regularly who talk to me about these kinds of things. Just recently talking with a woman who said, you know, I felt like I tried to obey God in all of my life, but now it feels like he's forsaken me. I don't know what to believe anymore. In times like that, I hope the story of Thomas will give you confident hope and faith in two bedrock truths. Number one, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. Do you know how we know? Because he's risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus proves his lordship and his deity. You can count on it. And number two, you can trust him. You can trust him to secure your faith. He will never let you go. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Your faith doesn't ultimately depend on you. You can trust Jesus, and he will secure your faith. I'm so encouraged by the story of Thomas, and I hope you are too. Let's pray. Father, my prayer today is that you would compassionately, personally, meet with each one of us wherever we are in the development and growth and progression of our faith. I pray that you would reveal to us the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ through the hearing of your word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. I pray that your word would do a work and bear fruit in us, just like a seed bears fruit and sprouts. I pray that the gospel, the word of God, would bear the fruit of faith in our hearts so that we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would keep on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and have life in his name. For that one who is presently, like Thomas, in a crisis of faith, I pray that they would look to Jesus 
trust Jesus instead of themselves. And we declare, Jesus, you are Lord and you are God. You're the only one who deserves our faith. We praise you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.